the title of this morning's message is Keep on Moving. And if you want to join me in 2 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to be at this morning. You know, one of the things we need to realize is in our Christian life, we don't want to become stagnant. In our church's history, we don't want to become stagnant. We don't want to rest on our laurels or rest on our past successes. We don't want to worship the past in any way. We want to honor the past. But at the same time, we want to move forward today. We want to move forward in vibrant relational intimacy with Jesus Christ today. And then when tomorrow comes, we want to do it again. And then when the next day comes, we want to do it again. We want to create new spiritual history through vibrant relational intimacy with Jesus Christ today. And it starts today. It doesn't start tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes because when tomorrow comes, it's today. So it starts today and we're going to see this exact exhortation, this keep on moving exhortation from Peter to his audience. A lot of similarities between Peter's audience and us, some not, but he is addressing a group of believers that are living in a hostile culture. False teaching abounds. False teaching is coming in, attempting to infiltrate their church from within and from without. They were also facing government-led persecution. We're not quite there yet, um, and who knows if we ever will be, but they were actually facing persecution. So Peter's audience was under pressure. And what do we typically do when we're under pressure? Many times the, the response is to just get under the radar. Just try not to be noticed. Put your head in the sand. Just get through it. Just coast through it. You're going to see that Peter's exhortation is a little bit different. In fact, this sermon is going to break up really into three parts. If you like uh, alliteration, you'll like this. You'll like this message. It's kind of alliterated here. Number one, divine empowerment, verses three through four. Divine exhortation, verses five through seven. And then divine effects, verses eight through 11. And so what he's going to do is he's going to tell them what they have. And then based on what they have, he's going to tell them what to do. And based on what they have and what he tells them to do, he's going to tell them there's going to be some results. Three positive, one negative. And this is where we're going to go this morning. And so we want to look at what Peter looks at first, and that's this divine empowerment, verses three through four. Let's read it. He says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We see this first phrase. We've got divine power. God's divine power has given something to us. This word divine power, it's a really interesting word. It, it means to be able. It, it reflects achieving power, intrinsic power to get something done. Okay, God doesn't just give us commands and then not provide the resources to execute the commands. In fact, it says that his divine power, his intrinsic ability to get things done has been given to us. And this phrase communicates that the very power of God is the resource provided for the Christian to live their life in this fallen world. So very important to understand because if you think you're living on the basis of your resources, you'll be overwhelmed very quickly. We run out of steam. We run out of gas. We run out of ideas. We run out of ingenuity. We are not as smart as we think we are. Can I, no amen on that one? I, I mean, I remind myself of that on a daily basis. John, you are not as smart as you think you are. 
You don't have the resources to handle this situation. And it's high time you start realizing this. Because you don't realize it and then you just repeat day one of your Christian life over and over and over again. I'm ready to get to day two. I'm ready to get to year two of my Christian maturity. And oftentimes when we don't realize that this is the resource. Now, it's good to know because I want to tell you a little bit about God's divine resources. It's the same power that created the world that you live in. Light, boom, light. Tree, boom, tree. That power is what's available to each one of us. The fact that he raised Jesus from the dead to bring life to a dead body, to bring it back to life, that's the same power available to each one of us. We've got to understand, he, uh, Peter wants his readers to understand this because additionally, he emphasizes this even more. This verb has given, it's a perfect tense participle indicating completed events with ongoing results. The idea is his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and you possess them. God doesn't do this give and take away, give and take away, give and take away. He gives. Now it's in your possession. Now the question is, will you use them? That's where Peter is going to go with this. They're your present and ongoing possession. So whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the very divine resources of God at your disposal. The word I can't should never come out of the the mouth of a believer in Jesus Christ. You can. In fact, I know I'm quoting this out of context, but the principle applies. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? To to know why I quoted that out of context, go listen to Josh's sermon from a couple months ago. But that principle still applies. You can because you have the resources. This is what he wants his readers to know. Now, what's really interesting is, I was just thinking about that. I was was sitting over there. Has anyone ever seen those? uh, I think they're Russian dolls. They're like wooden dolls and you just keep pulling one out of the other. You you know what I'm talking about. What is that called? I can't remember the name. What's that? Nesting. Nesting dolls. Okay. So everyone knows nesting dolls, right? This is a nesting doll type of passage, in, in, kind of, <laughs> in a way. Because what you're going to see from verse 3 all the way to verse 11 is Peter is just going to keep giving these connectors. He's just going to connect. And, and he keeps building on, on thoughts. One thought will then be built on by the next thought. And then the next thought after that will be built on by that thought. And you'll see this chain, this unbreakable chain. And we're going to see this first one here in verse three. It's the word through. You're going to see either a word or a phrase that kind of connects everything together. And notice in, in verse three, he says, he's given to us by his divine power, all things that pertain to life and godliness through. Okay. Here's the connecting word, the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So how were we given all things through what we're about to look at. It's through the knowledge. Again, this is the means by which God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Knowledge is an interesting word here because it's the Greek word epinosis. Gnosis itself means knowledge. Epi is a preposition thrown on front to give full and complete knowledge. This is personal knowledge. This is intimate knowledge. Like you know something inside and out. And in this case, who are we knowing? It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And one of the things we've got to understand about the knowledge that God wants you to understand is knowledge that doesn't lead to intimacy with Jesus Christ is simply knowledge. 
It's still knowledge. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is a good thing. But when it stops there at knowledge and it doesn't lead to relational intimacy with Jesus Christ, that's a problem. That's not the, the, the model or the mode by which God is giving you knowledge just so you can win Bible trivia, just so you can sound really smart in a Sunday school class, just so that you can quote this and quote that. That is not the end goal. So many Christians, especially in Bible churches, we, we just got to own this. We come, we love to fill our head with knowledge. We need to take that next step. We need to keep on moving, as Peter's going to say here. It's designed to drive us to relational intimacy. It's designed to drive us to wisdom. I like a quote from Miles Stanford here. He said, we should remind ourselves that the written word was designed specifically by God to bring us to know the living word. He is our all by means of the word. He wants to use the word of God to connect you to the true life source, which is Jesus Christ. If you remember in the book of John, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures, you search the scriptures, but you've missed who? You've missed me. You know the scriptures. Hey, Herod, where's the king of the Jews going to be born? No, I don't even have to look that up. Bethlehem, Ephrata. I can quote it. Micah 5, 2. But they weren't there. <laughs> they weren't engaged with that truth. But they knew it. They won Bible trivia. Ding, ding, ding. What do they win? They don't win anything. That's the problem. This is designed to lead us through relational intimacy. So how did God give us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he wants to connect you to a person who will deliver you from the power of sin. He wants to connect you to a person that you can live life with, holding his hand every step in the way. You got problems in your marriage? Jesus Christ is the solution. You got problems with your kids? Jesus Christ is the solution. You got problems at work? Jesus Christ is the solution. His resources are enough for anything that you're facing today. And this is what Peter wants his readers to understand. Next link, notice this, by which, in other words, through what? Look at verse four, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, okay? By which, through the knowledge of the Lord, through the knowledge of the Lord, we've been given something again, perfect tense, he's given it to you, completed action, ongoing results, you possess it. This is the beautiful thing about God. Again, he's not just giving it back and forth. Oh, yeah, 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 go for that. It's not like slapping hands with kids, right? They, they're like, give me a five, two, you know, high five, too slow, all that kind of stuff. God's not doing that with the things that he gives us. He gives it to us. It's our continual possession. He wants us to utilize it. This is where Peter, again, is going. And as we'll see, these promises, these truths are designed to have a practical impact on our daily life. Because as we go forward in verse four, what's that next connecting word? It says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these. Through what? The exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, something practical is designed to happen for you and me. Let's read it. That through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, partakers of the divine nature. Now we're going to look at that word partakers, but notice it's not, you're trying to imitate the divine nature. You're not trying to be like Jesus. You're trying to partake of the life of Jesus Christ in and through you on a daily basis. See the distinction? Religion's going to tell you, try to be like Jesus. That's what religion's going to tell you. And it sounds like a good advice, right? I mean, Jesus is, I mean, do we want to be like Jesus? Of course we do. But do we, are we like Jesus because we try to be like him? 
Or can we be like Jesus because we partake of his nature through faith? That's two totally different things. Religion's like, oh yeah, just try to be like Jesus. And you got people trying to be like Jesus all the time. And the problem is, is you can't be like Jesus by trying to be like Jesus. And this is why even this week, my son tells me a story. He's on, he's on, uh, he's driving on, on a road in noon and I forget where he was. And, and this person started honking at him and going nuts. And, and so he, he pulls over and this guy wa- rolls by, honks at him, might have flipped him the finger. We, uh, he wasn't quite sure. And as he, as the car drives off, he's got a little fish symbol on the back of his car. Like, what a great testimony. By the way, he's probably a brother from a different mother because I've done things like that myself that I'm very ashamed of, right? The point is this, when your activity and your mindset is to try to be like Jesus, to try to crank it out in your own strength, which is going to be the tempt- temptation when we get to five through seven, because he gives you a list. Ooh, watch out for those lists. Sometimes we start trying to crank it out in our own strength. But the point is this, that we might be partakers, right, of his divine nature. Now, I want to point this out. We're going to move quickly because I need to. I want you to notice you may be partakers, not you will be. Everyone notice that? He's not guaranteeing that this is going to happen. He says you may be partakers. In other words, everything is there for you to be a partaker. The question is, will you partake? That's really the, the wild card, if you will, why he can't guarantee it. And just as a review, when we talk about the three tenses of our salvation, justification and glorification are guaranteed. One time moment of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Guaranteed. Why? Because what you're looking for in justification is salvation from the penalty of sin. Once the penalty is paid, you're delivered. Jesus paid the penalty for you. You can be delivered from that one time moment of faith. That's why God says, whoever believes in John 3, 16, two promises shall never perish, never face that death penalty, and you have eternal life. He can guarantee it on a one-time moment of faith. Same with glorification. This is why Romans 8, 30 ties the two together. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorification, again, is salvation from what aspect of sin? The very presence of sin. So when we get our new glorified bodies, sin will not be connected to those bodies. And that is guaranteed the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again for you. Now, sanctification's a little bit different. It's not guaranteed. Why is it not guaranteed? It's because it's dependent on repeated responses of faith. This is moment by moment, walking in dependence, relying on the Lord Jesus to free you from sin's power. It's also based on the finished work of Christ, but it's a different aspect of the work of Christ that we rely upon in sanctification. It's still the person and work of Christ. It never changes. But in justification, what are we relying on? Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. Sanctification, I died with Christ and I'm raised with Christ. Those are the truths that we're counting on. That's the finished aspect of the work that we're counting on in sanctification. And this is why he says you may be partakers because nobody knows what you are going to do on a moment-by-moment basis, not even you. You can declare all you want, no turning back, I, I will follow. You can walk the aisle of a church, say, I'm dedicated now, I'm going to do it. But you don't even know what you're going to do five minutes from now, let alone five years from now. But you can control what you do in this moment. You can trust him. You can rely on him. 
You can believe the word of God regarding him. You can engage the word of God in this moment. And that's really all we need to worry about. That's where our focus needs to be. We're going to see that he's going to say, be intentional there. So when he says partakers, again, it means to share in. But we can't share in the life of Christ if we're not in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. That's going to be important. All right, so moving on to the second point now. We've covered divine empowerment. Now that you know you have divine resources at your disposal, Peter's going to say, keep on moving. In fact, what is this phrase that he ties us into? Verse 5, for this very reason. For this very reason, he's going to now give an exhortation in verses 5 through 7. Let's read it. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So for this very reason, since you've got everything needed for life and godliness, we're called to display more and more of God's character in and through our life. We're called basically to move from the classroom to the streets. We know what we have now. Let's go utilize what we have in real life. And he's going to use this exhortation here, giving all diligence, add, giving all diligence, add. This diligence describes this urgent, earnest attitude of bringing forth something additional to what is already existing. In other words, it's describing the process of growth. We need to keep moving forward. We've got all these resources at our disposal. It's not there to win a trivia quiz. It is there to impact your daily life. It is there to be stepped on as a stepping stone to the next level of spiritual growth. It's to keep on moving forward. Many believers believe that spiritual growth is somehow going to passively happen to them if they sleep next to a nightstand with a Bible sitting on it. It's just going to magically osmosis ties in their head. That's not even a word. It's going to just magically enter their head and start impacting them if they sleep near a Bible. Spiritual growth is very intentional. That's what this word diligence reflects. It's going to take a diligent, an intentional mindset to actively walk by faith. And so this is that diligent response of faith. Lest we get caught up in this list. Some Christians try to pump out these godly virtues in their own strength, but this is not what Peter taught. See, people see the word diligence here. They see a list here. They print the list on their, on their refrigerator. Say, I'm going to work on this one this week. Okay, good. I got that one down. Okay. I'm going to work on this next one this next week. And we kind of approach it as a self effort kind of thing. That's not what's being described here at all. I don't believe it's taking advantage of divine resources in verses three and four and giving all diligence to avail ourselves to those as we go about our life. And when we do, these are the things that should show up. See, the Christian life's not to be lived by self-effort. It's to be lived by active faith in the only one who can produce these character qualities, right? We look at the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of John Clark. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that I have the privilege of bearing when I'm walking in reliance upon him. He produces the stuff. I simply bear it. I just become a hanger for the Spirit's fruit in you as well as a believer. That's the mindset that we take. What will happen if we give all diligence to these things? If we keep moving forward, we're going to see God's desired outcomes now. So we've seen the divine empowerment, the divine exhortation, now the divine effects. And by the way, if we move forward with the Lord, there's going to be good outcomes. If we are stagnant and don't move forward with the Lord in spiritual growth, there's going to be a negative outcome. The, the outcomes have been put out there for us. Now it's a matter of what will you choose? How will you choose to respond? The outcomes are settled. 
If you decide you, you, you're just not going to pursue spiritual growth, okay, no problem. There's an outcome for you. You're not going to like it, but there is an outcome that's going to come out of that. If you decide to pursue spiritual growth, there are good outcomes for you. And so that's really the, the argument that he puts forward. And, and notice again the connecting phrase, for if these things in verse 8, for if these things, verse 8, are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to look at these divine effects here as we close out this morning. First divine effect, spiritual growth will make you productive. You see how he words that there? He says, these things, this, these are the qualities that are added due to your diligence, your personal pursuit and possession. But notice that if a believer possesses these things, they won't be barren or unfruitful. What's the implication? That if you do possess these things, what'll happen? You'll be fruitful. If you're pursuing the Lord, you're engaging the Lord, you're growing spiritually, you will bear fruit. It's not rule keeping. It's what? Possessing or partaking of the divine nature that will lead to being fruitful. Second divine effect, this one's negative. Spiritual growth, well, I mean, it can be positive how you word it. Spiritual growth protects you from retrogressing in your spiritual understanding. Notice uh, in verse 9, it says, for he who lacks these things, right? These things being the the list in 5 through 7, the spiritual growth, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sin. See, this person lacks these things. They're, they're not growing spiritually. There's a negative outcome. In fact, he lists, this, he lists two negative outcomes. The first is their spiritual eyesight is affected. They, they can't see through divine perspective anymore. They, they lack seeing that. They've either stopped taking in divine perspective through the word of God or the teaching of the word of God or the reading of the word of God. They just have stopped taking it in or they're taking it in and they're rejecting it. They're selectively deciding what they're going to respond to and what they're not dangerous place to be because that is going to hinder somebody's spiritual progress. And what it's going to do is it's going to affect your spiritual eyesight. You're not going to be able to see what really matters in the long run because you're going to think just like your unsaved neighbor thinks. It's all about today. It's all about what I have. It's all about my possessions. It's all about this, this, the the things I can see. And we don't do anything storing up any value for eternity because our eyesight is short-sighted. We're not looking in the long term. And so this is what he's saying here. You, and this is part of, one of the things we got to understand is, is so many times we think, well, we're not growing spiritually, but that's okay. I'll just pick back where I left off. You don't pick up where you left off. You always go backwards. You always retrogress if you're not moving forward, if you're not keeping it moving forward. And the second impact is your spiritual understanding is affected. You, you don't understood the truth that you once understood. You can't clarify in your thinking. And, and, and a lack of spiritual growth is, is actually going to kill spiritual brain cells. You know, those that grew up uh, with me in the 80s and 90s, you remember this commercial. This is your brain. And then they put an egg in a frying pan. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And then they just end the commercial. And it's like, man, I don't want my brain to turn out that way. You know, I have problems enough, right? But this really illustrates this point. This is your brain with a lack of spiritual nourishment. This is what it's going to look like. You go backwards if you're not spiritually growing. And in fact, notice what you do. Go back to verse nine. You've forgotten a very basic truth. And this is what's so interesting. When you speak to a carnal Christian, typically what truth do they typically start having a problem with? Again, their eternal security. 
They begin to think that, oh, I got to start getting back into church. I got to start doing this. And I'll say, well, why? Why do you have to start getting back in church? Well, I just want to make sure I get to heaven. They've forgotten the finished work of Jesus Christ. The very basic thing that is designed to give them confidence, they forgot. And in some way, they think now that they're responsible from cleansing themselves from their old sins. What a tragic place to be as a believer, not realizing that the love of God has already provided a solution to those things. Based on the potential for retrogression, we see this word therefore. And let me just kind of move through these last two quickly. Another, the third divine effect is that spiritual growth will provide spiritual stability in this life. This is why it says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. It's the, the, the word is stable, fixed, established is kind of the idea that he's talking about. So he knows the serious repercussions with retrogression and continual and ongoing spiritual growth provides spiritual maturity. And this is why it says, for if you do these things, again, what things grow spiritually, you won't stumble. He's talking about stumbling spiritually, right? Because you are, you're actively engaged in relational intimacy with Jesus Christ. Again, when Peter said, you will never stumble, you won't succumb to this temptation to buy into false teaching, false thinking, and false teachers, basically. You're going to be established. And then finally, that last link for so. So if you're spiritually stable, what can this guarantee you in the future? And this is the last divine effect that we see for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth will guarantee a future eternal reward. Now, it's kind of interesting phrase that he used. He says, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. Now, one of the things we got to understand is that entrance into the kingdom is based on the new birth, not spiritual behavior or good behavior or spiritual growth. But notice the distinction here. How you enter will be impacted by your spiritual growth. Will you enter with great reward or will you enter with minimal reward? That's what he's after here. And this is why the exhortation is keep on moving, keep on growing because there will be a future reward. You will walk into the kingdom abundantly. Again, you enter the kingdom through the new birth. This is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. Unless somebody is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. So as you trust in Jesus Christ, entrance has been guaranteed. Now the question is, from this point forward, how are you going to enter? You're going to enter abundantly with this great reward, or are you going to enter minimally because you have not taken basically your Christian life serious. You haven't walked and and desired to grow with the Lord. So again, some will be abundantly rewarded while others will lose shame. So keep on moving, right? That's the exhortation for each one of us individually this morning. It's the exhortation for our local church. We want to keep progressing spiritually. We don't want to get stagnant. We don't want to look too far in the past, even too short in the past. We want to look to today. We want to keep on moving forward with the Lord Jesus Christ, never resting on our laurels, never coming, becoming complacent, never satisfied with where we're presently at. Because I believe more of Jesus is always a good thing. And, and more of him today is going to be better for today. More of him tomorrow is going to be better for tomorrow. Let's close there with a word of prayer. And I'm going to invite the, the music team back up to continue leading us in, in music. Lord, we are grateful for this time to worship you, celebrate your faithfulness to us, both in teaching and song. And uh, we pray in advance for the the meal, the time of fellowship following. And Lord, we just pray for this um, added time of music. Uh, may it be music to your ears. May you you hear from our hearts the worship that is due you and due your dear son who died for our sins and rose again. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.